This week on Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture, Father Nick Parker talks about the nature of the prophet. Father Nick is being interviewed by Divine Mercy Radio's on-air host, Kelly Roper. By way of introduction, after earning a degree in instrumental piano at Fort Hayes State University, Father Nick entered the seminary. <clears throat> he was ordained in 2008 by Bishop Paul Coakley. Father Nick Parker can be defined as a theological scholar. He is, I'm telling you. He has a degree in theology from Mundelein Seminary in Mundelein, Illinois. He also has an advanced degree from the same seminary a licentiate how do i say that is that right am i close close, enough. close okay in sacred theology and he has completed a doctorate in sacred theology he is the pastor of immaculate heart of mary in hayes what a blessing that he is taking time out of his busy schedule to be here today with us and his topic is going to be the nature of the prophet Wow. So what? Um, why is this such an important topic, the nature of the prophet? Tell us, give us a teaser here and tell us why it's important for us to sit back and listen. Sure. Well, um, I think it's a very pertinent topic really for all <coughs> Christians. Um, and to explain why, I'm going to explain something from the rite of baptism. Um, so if people have gone to a baptism lately, hopefully they, they remember this part. But after the, the priest baptizes the child and pours the, the water over the, the child's head, then immediately after that follows an anointing. And this anointing is done with the sacred chrism, which is a very perfumed oil, which is always great when, when you have a baptism because for the next several hours, my hands just smell very fragrant. And, mm -hmm. and for, for anybody with newborns, after a baptism, yeah. uh, smell the top of your child's head. It's going to be very fragrant for a while. Yeah. But there's a prayer that goes along with this anointing. And the prayer says this, it says, God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ has freed you from sin, given you a new birth by water and the Holy Spirit, and welcomed you into his holy people. He now anoints you with the chrism of salvation. As Christ was anointed priest, prophet, and king, so may you live always as a member of his body, sharing everlasting life. And everyone responds, Amen. So Christ was anointed priest, prophet, and king. We, after our baptism then, are anointed in Christ, which means that we are also, in our own rights, priests, prophets, and kings. Now, granted, we might not all rule our own countries on thrones, and we might not be in the ordained priesthood, but we are all priests, prophets, and kings in our own rights. Now, each of those roles has a specific job description as well. We're not going to go through all the job descriptions. Today, we're just focusing on the prophet. But it is important to know what a prophet is, what a prophet is supposed to do, because we have been baptized into this role. We are all prophets by our, by our very baptism. Just to give a very simple definition of what a prophet is, Sometimes people think of the, the gift of prophecy, meaning that you're able to, to tell future things. And um, we really want to try to stray from that, because that's really not what the primary role of the prophet is. A prophet is not some sort of future teller or soothsayer or anything like that. The primary role of the prophet is to proclaim the word of God. And it's really that simple. 
the prophet proclaims the word of God, which is really kind of, when people hear about it initially, a very exciting thing. You know, the idea that we are, are called to, to proclaim the word, to be heralds of the Lord, you know, and so by its very initial sort of presentation and that simple presentation, it's really um, uh, um, a major calling, a, a high and lofty role, really, um, and something that uh, oftentimes gives people a lot of vigor in, in their faith. How is that nature of the prophet portrayed in Scripture? All right. So we have all sorts of prophets in Scripture. All of them have their own unique stories. Um, and I love the stories of the prophets. But I like to go, first of all, to the call of the prophets. One of the great stories that we sometimes hear at Mass is the call of Samuel, uh, which you can read in the first book of Samuel. Now, when you're at Mass, you're going to hear this great story about how Samuel was at the temple. He was kind of being tutored by the priest Eli, and he would go to sleep kind of like in this temple area. And the story goes that while he was asleep, he heard the voice of the Lord, but he didn't know it was the voice of the Lord. And the Lord was was calling to him, Samuel, Samuel, and he'd wake up and he'd think it was Eli. Mm-hmm. So he'd run to Eli and he'd say, Eli, you called me. And Eli said, no, I didn't call you. Go back to sleep. And he would, and he'd hear this voice again, Samuel, Samuel. So he'd go to Eli again. And Eli's like, no, it's, it's not me. No. Stop waking me up. Go to sleep. Well, eventually, Eli realizes that it's the Lord who's calling him. And he tells him, next time you hear it, say, speak for your servant is listening. And so that's what happens is he goes back to sleep. He hears this voice of the Lord calling him. And then he says, speak for your servant is listening. And then immediately after that, we read at Mass Samuel grew up and the Lord was with him, not permitting any word to, of his to be without effect. And uh, it's just this beautiful story. The problem with this, though, is that at Mass, we skip over what the Lord actually says to him. We skip over this entire part where Samuel says, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. We don't actually hear what the Lord says to him. And it is in the scriptures. It's just we don't get it when we're at Mass. And so here's what the Lord says to him. The Lord said to Samuel, I'm about to do something in Israel that will cause the ears of everyone who hears it to ring. On that day, I will carry out in full against Eli everything I threatened against his family. I announced to him that I am condemning his family once and for all because of this crime. Though he knew his sons were blaspheming God, he did not reprove them. Therefore, I swear to the family of Eli that no sacrifice or offering will ever expiate its crime. Not a happy message. Yeah. So. <laughs> we, <laughs> we totally yeah. skip over that part. Yeah. But that's what Samuel was called to report then to Eli, was yeah. just this horrible message of, you didn't do what God wanted you to do, and now you're going to have to suffer the consequences for it. So it was not a happy call that Eli received. So why are you bringing it up? It's not at mass. Why are you bringing it up? I'm not Not happy. I'm not done. So there are lots of other stories. Look at all these stories of the prophets because Jeremiah was called during a time where Israel was falling under horrible pagan worship and and, uh, bad foreign affairs. And he would say to the Lord, Lord, I'm 
I'm too young. And the Lord says, say not, I am too young. And with Jeremiah, it was kind of the same thing. You have to go and let the people know, repent. Or he, he even uses, um, uses uh, um, actually, I have it here. Um, the call to Jeremiah said, Lo, I am summoning all the kingdoms of the north, says the Lord. Each king shall come and set up his throne at the gateways of Jerusalem, meaning all your enemies are going to be surrounding you, mm. opposite her walls all around and opposite all the cities of Judah. I will pronounce my sentence against them for all their wickedness and forsaking me, and in burning incense to strange gods and adoring their own handiwork. But do you gird your loins, stand up and tell them all that I command you. So you're going to have to tell them all these horrible things I'm telling you. Be not crushed on their account, meaning you're going to feel like you're going to be crushed. Mm -hmm. As though I would leave you crushed before them. I'm not going to leave you crushed, mm -hmm. but it's going to feel like it. They will fight against you, but not prevail over you, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Um, and then you can look at all these other prophets. Uh, even Moses was sort of a prophet. He said, Lord, please, no. I don't even know how to speak. Don't send me to Pharaoh. Jonah, he tries to run in the opposite direction. All of these prophets, they're called. Some are a little bit more willing than others. But even the great prophet Elijah, uh, who oftentimes people will say is one of the greatest of all the prophets, he had a moment where he was wanting God to just take his life and let him be done. In fact, of all the prophets, there's only one that ever actually volunteered for the job, and that was the prophet Isaiah. Mm -hmm. The prophet Isaiah, if you read his story, you have to go in a few chapters into Isaiah to, to get to where he's actually called, but he has this great vision of heaven, and the Lord in this vision of heaven says, who shall I send? And that's when Isaiah says, here I am, send me. But basically, all these prophets are trying to, in essence, get out <laughs> of their role. <laughs> and why are they all running away? Well, basically because they're all called to do two things. This is what the prophets always do. They're supposed to bring messages of repentance during times of sin, and they are called to bring messages of hope in times of persecution or turmoil. That really sums up the messages of the prophets right there. Mm. Repentance during times of sin, hope in times of turmoil. But what this means is that they have to confront sometimes kings, sometimes rulers, mm -hmm. sometimes entire nations in times of sin, which is not fun. And they have to enter into the times of persecution and turmoil, mm -hmm. which isn't fun either. So basically, nobody wanted to be a prophet because... In a sense, everyone that was called to be a prophet sometimes would see it as a fate worse than death. And even Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, when he's talking about prophets, he says, Amen, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own native place. And as a result of it, the people got mad and they tried to throw him off of a cliff. Mm -hmm. So even when you're in your own home where you think you're supposed to be most comfortable, that's where Jesus himself points out in particular where a prophet is not accepted. So, I mean, initially this whole nature of the prophet thing, it seems great, the idea of being able to proclaim the word of God. But when you look at it in scripture, it can seem quite dismal, really, if you really look at the characters. 
So, so tell me, why are we? Where are we going with this? Why are we bringing all of this up? You know, just all this, this um, <clears throat> doom and gloom. Doom and gloom. <laughs> doom and gloom. Why? You yeah. know, I anybody know was wanting a, I know a happy got a lightning talk. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to crush those ideas. And- <laughs> and dreams. Well, we bring this up because basically we're stuck with it. Because once again, we are all baptized as priests, prophets, and kings. And that baptism is an indelible mark. You're not getting rid of it. The call is still there. Mm -hmm. And so you can't escape it. If you're a Christian, you cannot escape this call to be a prophet. Um, Just as the prophets themselves could not escape their call to be a prophet. Even though it was hard, they still had this burning desire and they knew that they could not stray from being faithful to God. So that's kind of where we are in our world as well, that we've been given this call. It's not an easy call, but we can't abandon our fidelity to God and we can't abandon that call that he has basically marked on all of us. So in essence, our job then is to realize the truth of it and then try to figure out how do I then live this out? If, if we see this before me and I can't get out of it, how am I supposed to actually do it then? Going back to that main theme of the, the main job description of the prophet, the prophet is to proclaim the word of God. With that, there are always going to be two parts to the word of God. First of all, we are always called to proclaim the truth. Mm. And with that, we need to make sure that we proclaim, if we're going to use sort of the, uh, um, the phrase that they use in court, the, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing <laughs> but the truth. Okay. But that means that we're not first supposed to water it down. We're never supposed to dilute it. Um, people need to know that the fullness of the truth. If you think about it, whenever... W- we look at the the truth and how it's sometimes proclaimed. To proclaim half truths or twisted truths, that's that's never going to be of God. One of the greatest examples where this is shown is actually in the book of Genesis, where the serpent is talking to Eve. The serpent, when the serpent first talks to Eve, starts by by asking a question: Is it true that you can't eat of any of the trees of the garden? The the serpent's not lying there. The serpent's just asking a question, just getting the conversation going. And then she says, oh, well, we can eat of any of the trees. We just can't eat of this one in the center. And the otherwise we'll die. And the serpent says, oh, you won't die, but you'll just have all this great knowledge of, of what's good and what's evil. Well, in essence, they didn't die, at least not right away. So the serpent didn't bluntly lie. Blunt lies are easy to to Mm -hmm. avoid. They're easy to get around. It's where we have just half-truths, partial truths, twisted truths. That's really what the devil used. That's what he still uses to tempt people today. And so therefore, if we are going to truly be prophets, we need to be people of the truth, but make sure that that truth is very clear, very complete. We don't want to mislead people by just giving them a little bit of the truth to, just to make them happy, taking the hard parts out. Yeah. So that's the first part, is yeah. that proclaiming the word of God means that you proclaim the truth. 
Then we get, though, to the second part, because we have to remember, though, that God is love. And with a God who is love, it's impossible for God not to love. And so, therefore, the word of God must always be proclaimed in love as, as well. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes people, they, they get on fire with the truth, but they forget that loving aspect as well. Yeah. And so, therefore, the, the truth is oftentimes presented in a way that can be very harsh, very condemning, very judgmental. Mm-hmm. And in a sense, this is one of the tricks that the devil will use as well, especially mm-hmm. when someone falls into sin. And people have this experience all the time. They fall into sin and they look at their sin and they think, oh, my gosh, I, how could I have done this? It was so wrong. It was so bad. How can I, how can I ever, um, you know, even stand before God as a sinner? And they, they just are so ashamed by it. It's, it's really kind of a, a trick, once again, of the evil one. Yeah. Where he tempts you into sin, but then as soon as you sin, he says, oh, my gosh, what have you done? Yeah. And he kind of whispers that to people so that they see the fullness of the truth of what they've done. Yeah. But the devil then can use that truth as sort of mm-hmm. sort of a, a hammer or a club or against you to hold you down. Yeah. So we have to realize, though, that that's, that's not of God either. It can't be – the truth can't be used as a way of, of condemning or, or holding people down. It always has to be used – in the manner of wanting the good of the other. Yeah. So <clears throat> that's really the, the main task that we have here as prophets. We have to proclaim the truth, and we always have to com- proclaim it in charity. And always make sure that they both go together. One without the other mm-hmm. is not of God. Uh, truth without charity, for the most part, only makes people run away from the truth. Yeah. Charity without truth is not true charity. Charity without truth will mislead people. It takes them away from the Lord, and, and that's not of God either. You know, sometimes people will say, well, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna proclaim the, what, what's right or wrong to this person because I love them and I don't wanna harm the relationship, and that's not true charity. Mm-hmm. If you truly love them, you will do what you need to do what it, for, to, uh, to make sure they, they live the better life. So it always has to be both. So sometimes people will try to put the two against each other. Am I supposed to speak the truth here or or am I supposed to act in charity? As soon as you ask that question, you know you are straying from the ways of God. It's not the way of the prophet. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the the task there. Another thing, though, that I might also point out is keep in mind that actions speak much louder than words. And therefore, it's good to preach the gospel by our actions as well. Um, St. Francis had that great quote, preach the gospel, use words if you have to. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's some real validity behind that. Because if we want to proclaim, for example, the truth of the Eucharist, that this is truly Christ, and that because it is Christ, we, we always need to make sure that we hold Christ in great reverence and hold the Eucharist in great esteem and we make it the source and summit of our lives. If we want to proclaim that, yet we aren't willing to make absolutely every sacrifice necessary in order to come to every single Sunday Mass and Holy Day of Obligation, then 
it really takes away the validity of whatever words we might have. Mm. And in fact, when you really look at it, there's, there's many people out there that, that very much say, yes, we, we need to make sure that we hold on to the, the importance of the Eucharist. We're, we're in a, a time of Eucharistic revival right now. But how many times does it take to miss Mass on Sunday to teach people that, yeah, Sunday Mass is nice, but in reality, reality it doesn't always have to be the most important thing. Mm. Mm. <laughs> it only takes one time. It's a slippery slope, isn't it? It's you such do it a slippery and slope. It's easier. You do it once. Yeah. And now, if someone is sick or they're caring for someone who's sick, that's a completely different story. Sure. You know, but for someone to say, well, Things just got really busy on Sunday. That means that sometimes it's okay to make God second place. Yeah. Or, well, we had this other event that was out of town. Well, that means that there are the occasions where, where the Eucharist isn't mm. the most important thing in our lives. Yeah. And those actions speak volumes. And people will be very attracted to the actions that give them the easy way of life. Yeah. Yep. Um, another example is with the sanctity of marriage. Yeah. We, we want to proclaim that marriage is something that's holy, that's something that was given to us by God, um, that it's supposed to be life-giving and, and uh, faithful and fruitful and, and all these wonderful things, and people love it. But as soon as our actions are supporting somebody in a marriage that is not acceptable by the church. Um, I mean, it just takes showing up to one of those things or congratulating somebody in one of those relationships to make our actions sort of take away our ability to really have our words ha- have, have true validity. Mm-hmm. So the actions can really take away the power of our ability to live as prophets that we're called to be. Yeah, It always has to be in line. With that, I also like to emphasize, don't take St. Francis's words out of context. Sometimes people say, well, preach the gospel, use words if necessary, it means that I don't ever have to use my words. No, you do have to use words as well. Don't think that St. That Francis was being an absolutist here, saying that you don't have to actually say what's right or wrong. You do have yeah. to do that as well. Yeah. But just know how powerful those actions are and what that witness is. Yeah. Um, and if, if our actions don't follow the words, it, it really takes away a lot of the, the validity of our ability to be prophets. We need to take a short break right now, but don't change that dial. We'll be right back with Father Nick Parker on The Nature of the Prophet. We're back on Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture on Divine Mercy Radio. Father Nick Parker. The Nature of the Prophet. Kelly Roper conducts the interview. When you were talking about, you know, don't don't take the the St. Francis quote you know, that you don't have to use words. It reminded mm-hmm. me of a time when I was in a Bible study 
And um, somebody in the Bible stu- study said that the birth control pill can be an abortifacient, that it can be an abortifacient. And mm-hmm. uh, I was like, oh, no, that can't be true. And I was contracepting at the time. And um, I was like, no, that can't be true. Well, she just dropped it. And so I went on many more years contracepting. And then later I found out that, you know, what she was saying was true. It can be an abortifacient. And, and I immediately, you know, changed. And, you know, my husband and I discussed it. And and we didn't use contraception anymore. And it was right when we were turning our lives around and and really living our faith more fully. Um, But I thought, you know, if she would have just spoken more words, you know, and just really given an explanation. But I know her and I know, you know, as I reflect back, she wasn't a person that was comfortable with any kind of that she perceived even to be a confrontation of uh, in any way. She just wasn't comfortable in that. And I thought, you know, how cool would it have been if she had Catholic radio with the call station and said, well, you know, I don't know how to explain (laughs) it, but here's a card. Why don't you listen to Catholic answers and call in and give them that question? Oh, sure. Yeah. For those that can't speak words, you can still evangelize. You can still do that and you can do it through Catholic radio. Yeah. And that's actually a great way to do it too. Like to make sure that you have those resources at hand. Yeah. Because I mean, let's be honest, we're, we, we all have our own abilities but everyone's abilities are are limited as well. Yeah. And I remember the times where I've said, you know, I there's this there's this great topic that I I want that I, I think you should look into, but I uh, I'll give you a, a brief rundown the best I can. But here's a talk by you know um, yes. by Father Josh that he did <clears throat> on on a double-edged swords show, yeah. or or here's a a, a talk that. That uh, this other couple did on on their life and marriage together yeah. on on the radio station. So yeah. um, listen, to the, you know, just when you're in your car, put it in. Yeah, drive around. You know, it's it can be really helpful. So what happens when when the prophets did this? When they were out doing you know their works, you know, proclaiming the word of God that you talk about, you know, doom and gloom. You know, not always a pretty picture that they're they're saying, but they're saying the truth. What was the result? Well. The the prophets, yes, they they always they always spoke in truth. They always spoke out of their love of the people, out of their devotion to their God. And whenever they did this, the vast majority of the time, there are some exceptions to this, but the vast majority of the time, it made people angry. <laughs> so, I mean, you do have some of the stories where there is conversions. Jonah is a great one where he goes to Nineveh. He starts proclaiming this story, you know, repent or, or you will be destroyed. And within a few days, the entire city, the entire it goes into this uh, great time of repentance. So, I mean, there are the stories of the immediate conversions. Most of the time, though, it doesn't go well for them. They, they make the people angry. They make them upset. Um, sometimes they're even, you know, locked up or, or thrown into a cistern or something like that, you know, um, you know, so people oftentimes will try to silence them. Um, in a sense, though, that should, because that's the, the, the common theme in scriptures, that should be what is normally expected. And it shouldn't catch us off guard. Um, and uh, we never want that to happen. It's not like we're looking for that to happen. But it's good to know that the normal reaction is not 
thank you, you saved me, baptize me now. It's usually rejection. Mm. But the thing is, the prophets never gave up. Once again, they knew their call. They knew that there was no way out of it. They knew that they had to continue this for the sake of following the way of God and for the good of the people. They still genuinely loved the people. Which means that because of this and because of their persistence, the people eventually would realize two things. And this happened with all the prophets. They eventually realized the prophet was speaking the truth. We didn't like it, but we were in the wrong and the prophet was speaking the truth. And because of this, then the prophets eventually would oftentimes be consulted again and again because the people knew that they would get the truth from these people. Mm-hmm. But also, the people realized that the prophets still love them. And so therefore, they would oftentimes then continue to show great honor and reverence to the prophets as well. Um, that's why they're still revered today. That's why we have their books in the Bible, is because the people realized that, that love that the prophets had for them and they had that love for them as well. One of my favorite stories with this is actually with the prophet of Jeremiah. So Jeremiah, um, he, he's, he's actually one of my favorite prophets in all the Bible as well, anyways. He's proclaiming all, these, all this doom and gloom, you know, saying that you're involved in pagan worship, you're involved in all these bad foreign affairs, you have to be careful or your enemies are going to come and overtake you. Well, eventually the enemies came and overtook the people. And, and uh, um, so with this, after, um, after they were overtaken, and, and this is the part with the, of the, the Babylonian exile, um, Jerusalem, Jerusalem is in shambles. Um, a lot of people have been taken prisoner and shipped off to Babylon. And there is a small remnant just left in Jerusalem. And the people there are afraid because they've become incredibly weakened. Um, their, their lifestyles have been pretty much destroyed. And they think, how are we going to survive? How are we going to continue to, to live on? And a lot of them thought, let's flee from this land that is now totally destroyed. And let's go to Egypt. Because Egypt, they can at least take care of us. We can at least be safe there. And Jeremiah, during this time of, of, of destruction, being the prophet, he has to give hope in times of turmoil. He says, don't leave. There's a small remnant here, but God can help the remnant still survive. Mm-hmm. So don't leave. Mm-hmm. Well, they decided to leave, <laughs> but they forced Jeremiah to go with them. And so Jeremiah, who wanted to stay, was forced to go with this remnant back to Egypt. And it's kind of a a sad ending, but there's a little bit of a bitter sweetness to it because the people knew that Jeremiah would continue to at least proclaim the truth, even if they didn't like it, even if they weren't going to follow it. They knew he was still going to proclaim the truth to them, and they couldn't let him go. Yeah. uh, Because of the love that he had for them, they could not give up on, on that for him either. Yeah. And so uh, even though they didn't follow Jeremiah's warnings and, and, and uh, advice, um, they still made him go with them. Mm. <laughs> and so there is a little bit of an endearing aspect there. 
but that's just it is that you have to you have to persevere you have to keep pushing through and even though the initial response is for the vast majority not good hopefully the people will understand the purpose in the end maybe not all of them will but we we take what we can get so how do we react to the prophets, you know, in today's world and, sure. and discern the true prophets? Yeah, well, I, I really think that this is another important aspect of, of this entire topic because uh, we talk about how we are supposed to be prophets in the world. But I think we have to be humble enough to realize that we are in need of prophets in our own lives mm-hmm. personally as well. Um, I need people to tell me the truth where where I need the truth. And I need people to show me that charity where I need that charity. And we have to be humble enough to realize that we're, we're as Christians, prophets among prophets. And uh, therefore, I need, I need those prophets in my life to help me out as well. Yeah. But with that, the normal reaction to the prophet, once again, is rejection. And just like when someone tries to correct me, normally I'm <laughs> the mindset of, how dare you correct me? <laughs> Why would I ever be wrong in anything? <laughs> and yeah. so I need to be able to yeah. recognize the prophets in my life so that the reaction, I can catch it when that reaction comes up, yeah. and then I can be open to the, the, the guidance that, that I need in my life. So with that, the first thing to remember is, once again, the primary role of the prophet is to proclaim the word of God. This means that we need to be very careful if somebody is proclaiming to be a prophet and telling us of future events or these mystical things that are going to happen and, and you know, when the world's going to end and all these other things or, or certain catastrophes that are about to occur. That does happen on occasion, but it's very, very rare. And it's not the primary role of any prophet. That was secondary to, to everything else. So make sure that we are very clear on what that first role is. It is to proclaim the word of God. But then also make sure that we realize that, once again, the prophets always speak in truth and they always speak in charity. When you see someone coming forward with some great message, always ask, is it truthful? And even use some ways to guide yourself and to discern whether or not it's truthful. Does it agree with scripture or does it at least not contradict scripture is it in accord with the with the church's teachings is it in accord with the catechism is it in accord with the tradition of the church and do i really understand the history and the tradition and the teachings of the church all of these things really have to be in line for it to really be truthful and also is it the whole truth is it nothing but the truth is it not diluted is it truly clear um, those are some of the things that we realize that help us to realize that this person is truly speaking prophetically. But also, it doesn't only have to be truthful, it also has to be loving. Is this person truly looking out for the better of me? Or, they, or are they trying to kind of throw themselves upon me in a way of superiority? Are they trying to prove themselves as better than me? Are they trying to hold me down or push me away? Um, in which case, I might need to make sure I check myself saying, okay, is it truthful? In which case, I'm going to find a way to follow this in a charitable way. But also, is it charitable? Is it, is it really going to be for my betterment? Yeah. And if we can really see that, then, yeah, our initial reaction might not necessarily be the happiest one. Mm-hmm. 
but at least we can recognize the the prophets in our lives and hopefully be humble enough to say, yeah, I do still need this. Yeah. This is still coming to me in a way that that I need to accept it, conform my life, and and move on. And I think we'll find that if we are able to do that, that actually not only helps us and our ability to be prophets as well, it, it actually builds a lot of relationships with people that can really have great positive impacts in our lives. So good. And, and you know, not always an easy thing. And, and mm -hmm. so how do we get, you know, how do we prepare ourselves to, to be able to, to receive, you know, the, the prophecy coming from others that, that really challenge us and, and that, you know, are meant to, to bring us to a closer relationship with, with God, and it may not be what we want to hear. Sure, absolutely. Um, so, you know, prayer, I guess, you know, praying, you know, for to just an openness, I guess, to the Holy Spirit. Okay. Yeah, always bring it back to God. If uh, someone says, you have to go to Mass every single weekend, and you go back to God and, God, and you say, God, he said I have to go to Mass every single weekend. See if God says to you, well, yeah, I do want you there. <laughs> or if he says, no, I'm not that important, which one is he going to say? Always bring it back to God. Always bring it back to God in prayer. Yeah. And oftentimes we'll find that in prayer we are able to realize the, the truth and charity behind the messages. All right. So comment on a, a bit on what this teaches us about living our Catholic faith as a whole. Well, I think that this also can help us to, to see something important about our Catholic faith as a whole in the world. Because oftentimes when we try to present Catholicism and, and Christianity to other people, we kind of paint it as a utopia in a sense, you know, how uh, our, our world, is, our, our Catholic faith is all about grace and it's all about love and it's all about mercy and forgiveness and, and about unity with, with others and with God. And ultimately, that is utopian. That's that's a beautiful thing. That it's totally, in and of itself, a utopia because God unites us completely with Him. There's nothing better than that. But at the same time, striving for this and, in a sense, even fighting for this in a fallen world is far from utopian. <laughs> and I think that's something that we need to just be real with people about is that our faith, to be a Christian in this world, life in union with Christ, just in and of itself, is perfect. But trying to get there is going to be a struggle. Trying to actually enter into that union with God and with others is going to take a lot of sacrifice. And with that, it's just going to have all of its turmoils and, and, and trials and tribulations. So we need to be real with people that living Christianity while still in the fallen world is not going to be a walk in the park. But when we look at where it's leading us, where, where it's bringing us, it's, it's worth it. So don't be afraid of the struggle. Realize it's there. Um, we need to stop having unrealistic expectations of Christianity in a fallen world, thinking that Christianity is supposed to be perfect, and so therefore because it's not perfect in this fallen world, then then it must not be real. No, it's the utopia is there. But while we are in this world, you're going to have to enter into the fight of it. Accept the dystopian way to the utopia and, and continue to push forward. Mm -hmm. But but 
don't give up on Christianity because it doesn't make your world perfect right away. You're not in heaven yet. So keep moving forward towards that goal. You know, and often, often, at least with the people I know and with myself, it seems like when you are doing the right thing, you are going to get some some pushback and some difficulties that, you know, I, I there have been a number of times when I've looked at my husband when things are going well and say, things are going really well. What are we doing wrong? You know, it's like, <laughs> what's going on here? You That's know? very true. That's <laughs> you know? very true. So, um, you know, we do have to, to accept it. But but with it, we also receive grace in order to make it through those difficult times. If, uh, um, but yeah, you bring up a good point where everything's going right. What are we doing wrong? You know? yeah, yeah. But in, in the Christian life, while we are living in this fallen world and while we are still sinners, if you aren't feeling some sort of struggle or some, some, sort, of, uh, um, some sort of challenge in, in one way or another, you're probably not doing it right. Yeah. Yeah. But, but keep pushing forward because that's where we get to that, 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 uh, that perfect union. Yeah. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise for this time you've given us, for all of your blessings, for your care, your guidance, and your love for us. Continue to guide us, help us to grow in our faith, bring us into a greater union with you and with your Son, Jesus Christ. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to Double-Edged Sword, Cutting to the Heart of a Deceptive Culture. We're celebrating Mother Angelica, and thus, we're going to end this show with one of her notable quotes. Most people possess the gift of faith, but they don't bear the fruit of that faith. The fruit of faith is to change your life. Mother Angelica, pray for us. You're listening to the network of stations of Divine Mercy Radio. If today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts.